We have a very special guest speaker. And so um, I'm going to invite up Mr. Seth Durley. Um, So before we get rolling, uh, I'm just going to take a moment and pray as we uh, dive into our time together in the Word. But before I do so, um, I would just like to politely ask um, that you would just really pay attention tonight, lean in. Um, Seth's got some really awesome uh, stuff to share with us tonight, and we're going to really have a good deep dive into the book of Colossians. And so I would invite you to listen in, listen up, and be ready for the ways that God might desire to change your heart tonight. So with that said, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather together. Lord God, just thank you for this time that we can um, just dig into your word. Thank you um, for the Bible. Thank you for the way that you speak through it to us. God, I just ask that you would just guide Seth as he um, teaches tonight, that you would just bless him, give him the words to say, allow the Spirit to lead him. And I pray that each and every student here would have open minds and open hearts to the ways that you seek to transform our hearts and our lives. And we thank you so much for this opportunity, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Sorry, I'm not 6'5". got to bump the... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I tell people I'm 6'4", just, just for, anyway. Um, so hey guys, I hope you're all doing well. Um, so I want to start things off tonight by telling you a story. Um, but before I do that, uh, two things um, need to happen. So if you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand and there'll be people with Bibles coming around uh, getting those for you. Um, and the second thing is, uh, as I'm telling this story, um, I want you to think about a time that you had to ask someone for forgiveness or extend forgiveness to someone who has wronged you. Right, so that's going to happen a lot tonight where um, I don't actually need an answer. I just want you to just think about um, how these kind of things apply to your life. So when I was in fourth grade, I had a mortal enemy. Um, I'm not sure how it started, but all I know is that this classmate of mine, who we'll call Peter, because that was his name, um, we'll call him Peter for the sake of this story. He absolutely hated me. Um, I don't remember ever having the strongest feelings toward him, but I knew he didn't like me, so I kept my distance. Now, Peter and I have since reconciled, so most of this story was recounted to me like years later um, after the fact. We're friends now. Um, but in the moment, I had no idea where any of this came from, uh, and you'll see why I was confused. So in fourth grade, um, everyone was required to perform in this like Christmas holiday concert thing. I don't know if any of you guys went to Dallas and remember that. We did this little play thing around the holidays. It was cute. It had like songs and dances. Um, And the special of the night was this waltz that featured six lucky couples. Um, Now, this dance was the talk of the town. Uh, I ended up asking a girl who I'd been uh, close friends with to waltz with me, as all fourth graders with game do. Um, And the waltz went really well, considering that it was a snowball-themed song to the tune of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Um, And (laughs) so it's already going perfectly. Um, And unlike the average nine-year-old, I didn't know how to waltz. Um, I was just behind my peers in that respect. Um, Now, Peter, unbeknownst to me, had planned to ask this same girl. And when she waltzed with me instead of him, um, he decided that the best course of action was to kill me. Uh, So so Peter and I sat next to each other during school. And when I got up to sharpen my my pencil, uh, he set his carefully laid out plan into motion. So as I returned to my seat, he, a master strategist, mind you, pulled the chair out from under me right before I sat down. But his genius did not stop there. 
as my body fell, and it fell fast because I had all these waltzing muscles on that I had, you know, carefully crafted. Um, it fell fast. He pushed the chair back in towards me um, at, like, the perfect moment, and I managed to hit my head off of the desk, the chair, the desk leg, the chair leg, and then the floor. It was like, what's that game where it's like, like pinball? It was, it was one fluid motion, I guess you could say. Um, so I managed to survive this murder attempt, um, and I was forced to read the apology note that my teacher made him write. Um, it took some time, but I managed to forgive the boy who had tried to murder me, and we ended up becoming close friends. Right, so this story may seem pretty silly with a clear murderous villain and a clear waltzing uh, handsome hero, but forgiveness is often not so cut and dry. Um, it often requires more than just uh, a handwritten note. So why do we forgive? If it's not as easy and simple as a note, uh, why do we need to forgive others? Why should we ask for forgiveness when we've wronged someone? That's something we're going to talk about tonight. Um, so for context, last week, if you were here, Pastor Tim talked to us about how Paul, while writing to the Colossian church, described the process of taking off the old clothes or old self and putting on the new. Um, I'm sure since then you've managed to remove all sin from your life, right? Just by a show of hands, who's perfect now that we talked about it, right? Uh, so obviously, um, it's pretty difficult to just, you know, cure sin by yourself. Um, we haven't exactly done that. So this passage kind of demonstrates what these new clothes should look like uh, and how our lives should, should change after we've taken off the old and put on the new. Um, so the passage is Colossians three twelve through 17. I'm going to give you um, two minutes to read. And as you read, uh, just look for uh, any important observations, words that stick out to you, um, that kind of thing. And we will reconvene when those two minutes are up.
All right. Um, so you can finish up if you're still reading, um, and we'll talk about this. So um, as you guys were reading, um, what kind of things uh, stuck out at you? What were um, the big observations that you saw? What jumps out at you, etc.? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are definitely important things to to have in our lives, Ben. It does. It does say the word forgiveness a lot. So will I, actually. Uh, it's a big, big part of tonight. Being thankful to God. Yeah, it's definitely a big theme here. Yeah, definitely. That's very important. Yeah, it's a big, big thing to, to stress in our lives. Anything else? Any other observations? Anything that stuck out at you? Any themes? Questions? Anyone have any questions yet? No? Okay. Is that a hand or a Gatorade? Can't. Okay, that works. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a kind of uh, break this down verse by verse. So verse 12 says this. Um, Put on then, and that then is kind of a callback to what we talked about previously with Pastor Tim. Um, so in light of what we just talked about, um, so this list, what we talked about last week was kind of a catalog of what not to be. Um, so this is kind of like a tangible list of things to, to actually do, um, which kind of helps you, you know, incorporate that into your life. So it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So what does that mean? So the two key points, uh, that you want to focus on in this, um, this verse is that, number one, we're set apart, and as a result, we should put on the new clothes. So we're set apart, new clothes, and new clothes are as a result of, of um, being set apart. So that's kind of like a cause and effect. Um, so what does set apart mean? Set apart means to be chosen, sought after, and obtained by salvation through Christ. So this is stressed for two main reasons. Um, the first being that many of the legalists we've learned about in weeks prior prided themselves on being set apart by their relationship with Abraham. But as Paul tells us here, we are truly set apart because of our relationship with Christ. Right? So at, at this time, a lot of these people were very proud of um, following you know, Jewish customs, and, and that was their, um, their relationship. Um, with, but they didn't actually focus on a relationship with Christ. Um, so Paul is, is talking about that. He says in verse 11, um, he clarifies that there is no longer Greek or Jew, only one body unified in Christ. So because we're set apart by Christ, we're unified um, due to that. So the second reason that this is stressed um, is because God chose us. He loves us endlessly, and this should be an encouragement to you guys. This should be something that um, brings you joy. The God of everything, who created the infinitely large to the infinitely small, chose to offer a relationship with him to you um, because he loves you. Right? That's something that should, that should be uplifting. Right? So that's the two main reasons that that's stressed. Um, now because we're set apart, we're supposed to put on the new clothes. Um, so what are these new clothes that verse 12 tells, tells us to put on? And if just you can call them out. Compassion. Anything else? Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. In order, too. And it's on the screen, so it wasn't too difficult for you. Um, not to dumb it down. Uh, so um, in case you haven't heard the term meekness before, um, your translation might also say gentleness. Um, so meekness is to be slow to anger, gentle in spirit, 
um, and it's indicative of humility. Um, so someone who is meek isn't necessarily like a doormat, but they, they are gentle and kind in spirit. They're slow to anger. Um, so these are all things that we should be. Verse 13 then goes on to say, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So this kind of continues that list of what we were talking about before. So in addition to all these new clothes, forgiveness is something that we should be putting on. Um, so bearing, bearing with is like putting up with one another, uh, which calls back to, weak, to not weakness, meekness. Um, so it calls back to that meekness being, being gentle. Um, and it's saying we should be forgiving. So in theory, forgiveness seems like something that would be really simple. Um, but it's a real struggle. Think of how often you get the urge to snap at someone. Or more commonly, gripe, complain, and gossip behind their backs. Um, it's often more than just a single action, and forgiveness requires work and commitment to being gracious. Um, so a lot of times, uh, you can say, you know, you get into a fight with someone, you can say, oh, I forgive you, like, we're fine. Uh, but then you're still mad at them, and whether you act like you've forgiven them to their face or not, you might go and talk with someone else about and act in a way that shows that you clearly haven't forgiven them. Um, so forgiveness isn't just verbal. It's an actual process that requires work. Forgiveness pardons, releases resentment, and shows kindness. Um, that's very important. It's up on the slides. Um, so forgiveness, not only do you pardon someone who's wronged you, um, but you release resentment. You say, you say verbally it's okay, but then you treat them like it's okay. Um, and not only are you just being civil, there's no resentment, but you should actively be kind to them. So not only should you just do the bare minimum of forgiving them and being nice to them, you should actually go out of your way to show kindness to them as believers. Right, so this isn't something that's necessarily easy. So why are we called to do it? If it's something that's, that's not something that just comes naturally, why do we have to do it? Um, well, obviously, uh, God is telling us to do it and because Christ forgave and we want to be like him. So those, that's like, duh. Um, but... <laughs> We also forgive because we are forgiven. Um, how easy would it be to say, like, you know what, I'm, I just can't stand Taylor. He, he was just being so mean to me in volleyball. I'm just, we're not going to be friends again. I, it's over. Um, but then turn to the God of the universe and be like, why haven't you forgiven me for, like, every sin? Like, of course he has. So if the God of the universe can forgive you for a, a basically infinitely sinful life on earth, why can't you extend forgiveness to someone who's wronged you? Right? We forgive because we are forgiven. Also, um, more practically, like for your life, a lack of forgiveness will lead to the sins listed in Colossians 3, 8, and 9. So in order to maintain these new clothes that we work hard to put on, we have to forgive. These old clothes, um, just any sort of tension between people, that comes from a lack of forgiveness. Verse 14 then goes on to say, Above all else, we are called to love. Um, so, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So above all else, um, that's pretty, it's a pretty dramatic way to say, like, this is extremely important. Um, Christians should be known for their love. Love is something um, that we should put above all these already important things. Love should come first. Um, so I like to think of love, it's a shaky analogy, but bear with me. Um, I like to think of love as the belt of this new self-outfit. Um, so, you know, we got like our gracious pants on and our forgiveness romper or whatever. We got the, we got the, 
we got the belt of love. Um, so this love belt, uh, it anchors our grace and our forgiveness and our gentleness. Without love, all of these new clothes that we put on are susceptible to falling off. Metaphorically, of course. Um, so if all of these other clothes come from Jesus, where do you guys think love comes from? Jesus, yeah. Easy Sunday school answer. First um, John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Um, also, we should be known for our love. Following that belt analogy, um, I don't know if any of you guys who went to Dallas around like 6th or 7th grade, um, when I was in 6th or 7th grade, not with, anyway, um, there was this substitute who had this massive Gucci belt, and I don't even know his name. I'm not 100% sure he was a he. I don't remember anything else about him. I just know that I called him Gucci Belt, and I loved when he was subbing for my class because it was just so funny that he's subbing with this enormous, very expensive belt. Um, so this kind of... So obviously we shouldn't be known for our Gucci as Christians. We should be known uh, for our love. So if this love belt holds our new clothes together, it should also identify us, and it comes from Jesus. Christians should be known for our love in the same way that I knew that substitute for his Gucci belt, right? So um, it should identify us. Verse 15 then goes on to say, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So Paul is not just talking about an inward peace or like a feeling for the individual. Though Jesus does give us peace, he's not calling for us to be like, like meditation-y peace. This, this peace that he's talking about is a kind of peace that characterizes us as a whole, us at, at believers as a whole. So when we genuinely love and care for one another, even though we are in a community of imperfect people, we will experience peace and grace given by God to us. This kind of love and peace comes from God, and it should characterize us as believers. So while it's easy to keep this kind of peaceful and loving behavior theoretical, there are many practical implications. So again, I want you to think in your head, uh, actually, please don't raise your hands. I don't need examples of this. Um, but what does it look like to love people who disagree with you? Right? You can think to the person that you just recently had an argument with. Um, you know, you're butting heads, and you're just thinking, I... We are just not going to ever agree on this. And, you know, is their opinion causing resentment between you? What would it look like? How would your relationship change if you were to prioritize love with that person? What does it look like to love those who mistreat you? You know, think again of the person who, uh, that's even easier to think of. Think of the last person who did something that hurt, you know? And you don't want to forgive them because it hurt. What they did hurt. Um, but what would it look like, how would that dynamic between you change if you prioritized love with that person? What does it look like to love and forgive someone who you think doesn't deserve it? It's, that's convicting to think about. Is there someone in your life that you can think of that, you know, whether you butt heads, they hurt you, you hurt them, whatever, and you, you just think, you know what, we're never going to be buds um, I just, I can't do this. I'm not forgiving them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. What would it look like if you were to prioritize love and forgiveness, biblical forgiveness with that person? Right, so Paul's instructions are more than just a set of good ideas. They have real applications that we should be seeking to use in our lives. We shouldn't just see, oh, be loving and compassionate, you know, put it in your Instagram bio and then move on. 
These are actual things that we can put into practice. You can prioritize love with those around you. Um, I do want to address a misconception about um, this peace, peace and love idea. Um, because Paul is writing about a peace that characterizes a group of believers, um, do you guys think that we're called to be at peace with the world? Now that seems like an easy yes. I actually heard a couple whispered yeses. Um, but we're not necessarily called to be tranquil or doormats is, is the term that I've been using. As Christians, we are still called to stand up for the truth and to share and defend our faith and step out and commit to the difficult things God is calling us to do. We're just supposed to do that with love and compassion. You know, so there's so many champions of the faith that you could, you could list. Um, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., um, all the, the Christians who helped put a stop to the gla- like gladiator fights in Rome. Like these are all Christians who stood up um, for what they believe in, but they did it in a loving and compassionate way. All the apostles, they died for standing up for what they believe in. We're not called to just be agreeable in an easy-to-convince, wishy-washy way. You can still have opinions and stand up for the truth that you know because of God, but you can do it in a peaceful way. Verse 16 then goes on to say, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. That word admonishing means to advise, urge, or reprimand. Um, Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that word, um, let Christ dwell in you, that's something that um, I think as a Christian, uh, like I've been reading my Bible for a good amount of time, I would see something like that and just... Okay, flip the page. Um, but that's something that we should really dissect. Um, so what it's saying is, let, let Christ dwell in you, and then it's kind of, I drew an arrow in my notes over to what it continues to list. So letting Christ dwell in you looks like this. Um, we should do things like study scripture and worship and commune with Christ and fellowship with believers. Commit to a local church uh, and let Christ you know, stir our hearts, so to speak. Um, so in other words, we don't do things so that Christ will finally decide we're worthy of his dwelling with us. We do these things so that we have the motivation, desire, and conviction to live with our new clothes. Right. So we, we recently um, talked about like legalism, that word. Um, and we learned the difference between discipline and, and legalism. We do these disciplines and we commit to learning about and worshiping God. And we have these consistent practices so that we're reminded who Christ is and we're encouraged to dwell with him. Um, I think it's sometimes easy to feel like these disciplines are a chore, but they're here to help you. Um, That's what they're there for. Fellowshipping with believers and committing to a local church and praying and reading your Bible, um, while it seems like it may be difficult at first, they they help you develop and dwell with Christ and grow your relationship with him. We can't commit to these new clothes that we've put on out of self-motivation. Humans are naturally complacent, unmotivated creatures. How many people can you think of that said, you know what, I'm going to start working out, and then they didn't, right? Humans are not naturally just going to start doing things. If we are dwelling with the Lord and doing things that encourage us to live in the new self, the motivation will come next, you know? If you walk to the gym, you stand in the center of the room, well, what are you going to do? Just stand there? No, you're in the gym already, so you're going to do something. So we get this motivation and this discipline from God. The bottom line of this verse is that we can't flip the switch from old to new on our own. We need God's help. That may come as a shock, but we actually can't do it all on our own. We need God's help. And then verse 17, Paul closes with this. 
He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So be thankful is like, I heard um, someone bring that up about how that's something that they saw a lot. Be thankful is reiterated for emphasis. So be thankful. You know, happy Thanksgiving, kind of. We still have time. But happy Thanksgiving, guys. We are, call- we are called to give thanks and glory to God because our new self is not made by our will, but by God's. You know, like I just said, like we, we can't do this all on our own. We can't flip from the old to the new on our own. So we should give thanks to God for helping us do it. And then it says, do everything in the name of Jesus. Um, now, what does that mean and what does that look like? Doing something in someone's name, especially in the context of when this was written, it doesn't just mean to represent them, but it means to give credit to them for empowering us. So because we dwell with Christ, we are empowered to be the representative community that Christ calls us to be. Um, so God kind of equips you, and then from there, you're able to do what he's saying in Christ's name. So I want to leave you guys with um, some questions for consideration. Um, so again, just think in your heads um, what, what this would look like in your life. So what in my life is holding me back from dwelling with Christ? You know, if we know the importance of all these disciplines, um, but we still neglect them, what is causing this? Is there some reason that you just you can't commit to making it to Sunday Sunday morning church? Are you just are you just tired? Um, what is the reason that your Bible is dusty on your bookshelf? You know, is it just you don't have time? Do you actually not have time, or are you just not prioritizing it? You know, just think about these things. Think about what in your life are you not prioritizing for Christ. And how could you prioritize these disciplines um, so that you can dwell with him? The other question is, think back to what I said at the beginning. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Or someone that you need to ask for forgiveness from? You know, maybe you wronged someone else and now there's kind of a disconnect between you and them. How could you extend love and grace? And even though you wronged them, how can you extend forgiveness for that gap? You know, how can you forgive them? Or maybe they wronged you. How can you extend graciousness and forgiveness in order to repair these relationships? The last question is, how can I change the way I live my life, even and especially in the little details, in order to better glorify Christ? What are you doing in your life that could help you kind of glorify Christ? Is it the way you act? Is it um, the way you talk? Is there something in your speech that you could, you could modify? You know, maybe even just as little as just being kinder. How can you put on these new clothes, you know, love and meekness and patience and gentleness? How can you be more of those things in the way that you act and speak? So as you're thinking about that, I want to leave you with uh, one last take-home truth. And that is this. Giving Jesus the glory is not just a choice or a switch that we flip, but it's a lifestyle that requires discipline and commitment. And we are called to embody this lifestyle. Remember that we're not only called to take off the old clothes, but we're supposed to put the work in to put on the new clothes. And we're supposed to work towards a lifestyle filled with forgiveness and love and patience and meekness and compassion. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much um, for the opportunity to be here tonight, Lord, um, worshiping together. Um, I pray that you would help us to put on these new clothes and to take off the old, Lord. We know that we can't do it without you. Um, 
I thank you so much for all the opportunities you give us in life. I pray that you could help us to modify the way that we, we act um, so that we can better glorify you and further your kingdom. In your name I pray. Amen.